Network presents The Interviews with Lorenzo Melcher. This is The Interviews with Lorenzo. With me today, the owner, owners, owner-operators of Weber Ranch, Tony and Michelle Weber. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Always so much fun. Um, and just like other people, you were nervous that we all we had to talk was about sports. And you have apparently no knowledge of sports? <laughs> The way, the way it was said to me. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I don't know. I, th- I feel like we're kind of the odd ducks a little bit where we don't really follow a specific team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mainly really, really busy. I mean, we oh, played yeah. sports. We played sports in high school. And I believe, I mean, you were more baseball than anything else. Yeah, but all the way up. That's all right. Yeah. But, but that's the thing. Like, this podcast isn't sports-centered. Uh, it's just that's who I know. So. Yeah. But... I'm excited for you to be here because I've, I mean, I've, we've known each other since high school. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested to know how the, your farm got started. Um, and what, basically what got you into it. Um, I know you moved, I don't know if it was shortly after high school that you guys moved out to Montana or when was that? Yeah. Um, well, not, oh, go ahead. I yeah, guess no, it was, <clears throat> it was, um, Bump, I went to BG. My, bump that mic up a little bit. I went to BG for for education, and Tony was still in the military. Okay. And then after I graduated, I moved down to Southern Ohio because Tony was in the forestry program. And so we got married, and after he graduated from the forestry program, we literally three days after we got married, we moved out to Montana because oh, wow. he started as a forester out there. Okay. All right. How, and, and how yeah. long were you in that? Or, or guess what? What got you into that? Well, I think it, I was looking for a way to get out of Ohio. Okay, All right. um, a little bit. So I hear a lot of people say that, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> uh, and here I am, back in Ohio. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I always, I've always liked to hunt and fish, and I've always liked being in the woods. And for whatever reason, I've always been fascinated by trees. If okay. you think about like a tree. How much weight? Like, you ever pick up just a little piece of firewood? Oh, you're, you're, I'm, I mean, I'm a groundskeeper, landscaper. Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I love so, that stuff, yeah. Yeah, so you get up in a tree, and you're just like, how is this thing holding all of that yeah. weight up? So that, that has fascinated me. Um, but I think forestry was an opportunity for me to spend a lot of time in the woods. Okay. And a lot of time in the mountains. And uh, through that, you got to hunt and fish. Yeah. You know, or at least find all the good spots to hunt and fish. <laughs> So that was sort of the initial idea, but like she said, I was going to school um, down in Hocking, and uh, so she moved down, and I I was working for a forester down there uh-huh. while I was going to school, and then um, I felt like I was out of breath there. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, so then after that, I, uh, I applied for a job with a company out of Idaho, and... Um, still like forestry yeah forestry job okay out out west and we had talked about it before we were you know gonna get married that spring and um so the guy calls me up and uh you know i start talking to him and i thought he was calling to like set up an interview yeah and at the end of the phone call he was just like oh all right well when could you get here (laughs) (laughs) you know he was like you know can can you start um could you start like the end of the month or something? Mm-hmm. This was maybe like May. And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm getting married in June. I need to be here for that. <laughs> so he's like, oh, all right. Excuse me. <coughs> um, 
So yeah, I was like, well, we're, I'm getting married the 14th. He was like, all right, well, how about like that next week? Oh my. Yeah. So I was like, well, <laughs> all right. So when Michelle got home, that's when I had to say, hey, uh, remember that job I put in for? Yeah, they called and offered me a job, and I took it, and we need to be there like right after. Oh, so wow. we got married Saturday, left for Montana Monday morning. Monday morning. Wow. And um, that you was went, it. You went to work on Thursday. I went to work on We got there. <laughs> yeah, so it took us a couple days. Monday, Tuesday, we got there. Wednesday, didn't have any furniture basically unpacked i was, was gonna ask you like did yeah. you have a place or did they have like here's this you can we, rent this apartment we actually scouted out montana in march a- or april, april. Of, okay. right before we got married and ended up uh finding a place before we actually physically moved out there okay. so we did have a place so oh, that's yeah, good. yeah we had a we had a place to go to but yeah so uh. but just like she said i think it was like literally wednesday the day we got there mm-hmm. we showed up in the morning and then I went and met my new boss at a diner like Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> and then I went to work on Thursday. Wow. Um, and I was gone Thursday and Friday, came home on the weekend. I think we went and bought a couch so that we had something. Oh. And then um, I was He go- said adios again, and he was on the road for another week. <laughs> right? Wow, that is fast. Yeah. So um, were, were if you-, you want a wife that doesn't complain, there was no honeymoon. <laughs> I took her 1,700 miles away and then left her. <laughs> In an apartment with, you know, with wow. no furniture, n- sh- no job. She knew no one. And I was gone on the road. And I usually out of cell service Monday through Friday, except maybe in the evenings. And here we, we are came wow. back. 12 years later. Yeah. So that was. Um, That's incredible. How. So how, Michelle, how was it for you moving out there? Like you said, n- no job. Uh, you didn't know anybody. How would you. Um, you, you, to me, I don't know. To me, you seem like a people person. Like it wouldn't be hard for you to figure things out. No, it was. It was actually. I don't think about it until like we reminisce now, where I'm like, wow, I would have been a lot more like ticked off, yeah. <laughs> you know, to not. <laughs> did you just leave me? And then I literally have nobody and no furniture and not knowing where to go. But, um, we kind of hit Montana at a rough time. You know, we mm-hmm. it was. 08 when everything was like the housing market everything was kind of crashing to a halt so trying to find a teaching job was non-existent so i think what did we say like there was one time before we moved back between the two of us we had like 11 w-2s you know oh yeah Yeah, like multiple jobs you know we just we moved out there at the wrong time yeah because when everything kind of crashed, like people weren't buying lumber to build houses. Yeah. And so that, he, you know, that was a big yeah. thing. That killed the forestry industry. Yeah. So what I did as a forester, a lot of people just like, oh, the, back here, everybody, nobody knows what a forester does. Mm-hmm. So they just assume that you are a park ranger. You know, <laughs> it, they're just like, oh, so my dad used to get tired of trying to explain it to people. They just mm. be like, oh, is your son still a park ranger? Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, is he, you know, we're a forest ranger. Yeah. I mean, you would just say yeah. yes, because it. You, you know that that doesn't even that doesn't change even with my job. I work right. at the Metro Parks. I'm a, I'm a park maintenance, but the way I'm dressed, people always just assume I'm a ranger. Right. Like, no, we. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I don't carry a gun. I don't have it. I'm just I'm here to fix that. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and so in what we did, you know, I managed for a. I was worked as a private consultant, so I worked for a consulting company. So we worked. We did do contracts for mm-hmm. government, but all, most of our work was timber companies. Okay. And so when nobody is building houses, the trickle down of that then is you do not need two by fours, yeah. and two by sixes, and you don't need to cut trees. Put on top of that, the problems that we were having 
um, with like mountain pine beetle and spruce budworm oh. at the time. These huge millions of acres tracts of, tracts of land that were just standing dead timber that needed to be harvested with no place to go. Okay. Um, so at one point we were literally just cutting trees and taking excavators and piling them and just burning them. Wow. Because they had in order to mitigate for wildfire. Yeah. Um, but there was no value to them. So the, we had these big landowners that were literally paying to cut their trees down and yeah. then just burn them in big piles. Wow. But um, So that's what she meant. We hit it at the wrong time, whereas as far as like just be starting in that industry yeah. Yeah. at that time um, was just bad timing. Yeah. And, and it's the nature of the environment out there also that there are – a lot of people that work a lot of seasonal jobs, okay. part-time, you, you know, everybody has a couple part-time gigs and that's because the winters are so hard. We used to joke that you ski every month, but July. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, when we moved and out that, there that in is June, the it snowed, it right. snowed one day and we were just like, what, what did we move? What <laughs> yeah. did we move so to? June, like, June 16th what? and we got six inches of snow wow. the first year we were there. And, um, yeah, that was just kind of like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> So. I don't know. I think I think for us, we've just kind of persevered and kind of <laughs> taken a step back really quickly after things happen and just kind of laugh it off, like, "Oh wow, like it snowed in June," yeah. like, or you know, hitting hitting Montana at the wrong time. We're like, "All right, we'll get through this. We'll figure something out." You know, it's it's what, just kind you, of in our nature. You and you have to. I mean, oh, yeah. if you can't, right. you know, if you let one thing bring you down then you know there's more coming, so you have to overcome that, you know, right. or at least try your hardest, right. you know? And you just figure, this can't last forever, right? <laughs> I mean, at some point, something has to go our way. Even, like, now. Yeah, like, right. I still feel like, right? well, at some point, it has to go away. Yeah. But I, I, a little bit of a side note to that, I will say, you know, Michelle and I, we've been together for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, I think, a testament to that is when we got married, people used to think it was you know a little crazy yeah. we got married and two days later we moved across the country and then i left her like it's a funny story yeah. to you know the way when we tell it, it it becomes a funny story but that is a true test of a marriage i think yeah. and then working as many jobs and the true struggle that her and i went through um and we didn't have anybody you know it wasn't like her and i could fight and she could go to her mother's house you know and then <laughs> yeah. i'd eat you know hormel chili for a week and then she'd come back and we'd work out our marriage and yeah. i mean we literally had nobody else to lean on except each other yeah so if anything i think that really helped us it made us grow lot. up even more even though we were adults it allowed us to kind of grow up and work through struggle that most people don't have to face yeah. necessarily if right. they don't move across the country and know we only had each other to rely on. I think yeah. is what we're, I mean, that that's that's the basis of the whole yeah. thing. Is well, that well, even starting from when because we got married the same year, and you know, it wasn't probably it, for me. It was five years later. Another one of my friends got married. So even yeah. even the start of that getting married young, considering how people how old people get married now, that's even a thing. Like, whoa, why are they getting married? Like, I was twenty two. She was. Or I was 23, she was 22. Like, why are they getting married now? They're so young or whatever, you know? So even starting at that point, that alone could be like, oh, man, that we'll see how that works and out. And my parents know? had their last kid before <laughs> her and I were already <laughs> I know. married. My parents oh, really? were already so done even, having kids yeah. by that point. I know. Yeah. So thinking of yeah. the generation before us, just it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So so you were out there. You, you did, were in forestry, a um, bunch of odd jobs everywhere. So when, when did the idea of let's start this ranch? And... and and 
I apologize because I don't remember the name mm. of the guy because I used to watch his videos too. Um, and I Joel Salatin? Yes. Uh, Matt Sparks yeah. talked about yeah. him too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would assume that might be one thing that kind of triggered or helped you along once you got into it. Well, we got, I got super lucky. I was working for an art gallery, <clears throat> excuse me, part time at the University of Montana. And there was a job opening for an art teacher about three and a half hours away about cent- in central Montana. And it was a place that Tony had bird hunted before. And so when I came home and told him about this, he said, you have to apply for this job. You know, it's like the ideal place that he would want to live in Montana. So I was like, okay, we'll do it. Again with the bird hunting. <laughs> I mean, that's, that literally was how yeah. I, I knew I knew of this town. And it was it, the most leave it to beaver. Like it was it was Mayberry. Mm-hmm. This was yeah. Andy Griffith. Yeah. Full fledged. This town is just the, wow. it's yeah. the coolest little place. So I ended up I went out there and uh, you know, interviewed and, and got the job. And so we moved out to uh, central Montana. We were about an hour south of Glacier National Park. Okay. And an hour north of Great Falls. So for people that know kind of Montana and the map there. Um and Tony was Getting his welding certification. So um, Tony is a creature of just knowledge. So he likes to, um, he has these, he likes to pick up these hobbies and just inquires about random stuff. I'm sure he'll talk about his newest venture in a little bit. (laughs) Um, But he had some money left from the GI Bill from being in the Marine Corps. And he's like, you know, I just want to hone welding skills. So he started working for a welding shop in this town. And we lived, what was it? 14 or 15 miles from the town that I taught in. Yeah. We lived even further out. So the town was probably 1,200 people, 1,300 people. And then we lived in this town called Bynum that was, there was only 28 people. And (laughs) I was the youngest person in this town. There was a post office and a bar. The bar was open seven days a week and the post office was three. It was open part-time three days, only half days, three days a week. But the bar, we kept the bar going. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we had a little plot of land that we rented out there. Uh, We lived across the street from this huge cattle operation that we would help them from time to time. And then friends of ours had a small CSA and raised turkeys for Thanksgiving. So we uh, would help them. Sorry. Like uh, veggies. Okay. Like a veggie box subscription. Oh, okay. okay. Like shared legacy farms from around here. Yeah. So. They had a small CSA and they did turkeys. And so we helped them with like butchering turkeys for Thanksgiving. And um, it, it was kind of like we started to watch the videos, yeah. read about Joel Salatin. Um, and it was, you know, it was that wave when all those documentaries started coming out. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that kind of kind of tweaked our minds about this a little bit was that big cow-calf operation across the street from us. I would see her buying beef in the grocery store. And I'm like, you have thousands of heads of cattle. You don't even eat your own beef. Like that is just crazy. And so that's kind of how it sparked where we started having a garden. I slowly started to learn how to like can and preserve. Yeah. And then we ended up with having like two hogs and some chickens. And, and it just kind of manifested into just homesteading at first. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and, and was that, so when you were out there, was that strictly like the homestead that was just for you? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. At that point. So where we were up on that prairie, we were 15 miles out of the town. Uh Um, Our town had nothing but that bar and the post office. But then we were 80 miles out of Great Falls. So it was 80 miles one way back for us to get to like a Home Depot or a Target or an actual like 
major chain grocery store, you know, any of the box stuff, we were 80 miles away. Yeah. So a lot of that did, you know, and these winters were, I don't want to say brutal, but you know, I mean, it's the prairie. Well, when it's snowing it's, in June. Yeah. It's, right. You know, I, so, I mean, the point being is you didn't go anywhere with half a tank of gas, Yeah. you know, and you made sure you had enough to eat. So what, we started screwing around with this kind of stuff, like she was saying, and because I'm always into a little bit of everything, I started making like a little greenhouse and then I made like a, a, a boiler system to heat it. And the boiler system, the the tank was heated with a compost pile. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And so I started screwing around with just stuff like that. Things that are maybe not feasible on a bigger scale that I would mess around with now. But stuff that was just, you know, my mind was always intrigued by these things. Yeah. Um, Well, I I love the idea of homesteading. And and, uh, I have a garden here. I have... We don't. Ducks are sold out everywhere. I'm trying to get ducklings, and I, I haven't was been gonna, able to I, get. Well, yeah, I was gonna text you just to see if you still had your ducks no, or not. No, I don't. I have a, a nice, beautiful house that that we built in the backyard. Um, I'm gonna build a fence for them. We got a pond I dug in the, the um, a stock tank. I put it in the ground, but they're just they're sold out everywhere, and it's incredible because that was never the case. And but it's all because of COVID. Yeah. But but going back to the idea of homesteading, I love that stuff. I even look at like. Um, square foot gardening because there's very limited space in these neighborhoods right. like all that stuff so that really intrigues me and it's cool yeah. that you were able to do that kind of stuff and so that's how we i mean that, that that's really what got it started and the way that we came back well i mean there's a couple other cool montana things we we'll keep going about, yeah keep going yeah. i mean they don't really have to do with that no, with the fine. farm so much but two two things that i will point i'm about to cough <laughs> sorry excuse me um two other things i would point out is that uh one that welding shop that I worked at yeah. was in, in Shoto, Montana, in this little town. And um, I built bear traps oh, wow. is what we did. And so usually people around here always get a kick out of like a bear trap. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but that, so that's what I did. We had a patent on um, a big all aluminum bear trap. And so it was, imagine taking like a big culvert pipe. Okay. And, you know, with like a guillotine door, like, like the old school, like a giant box trap, basically. For, oh, wow. For bears. Um, <laughs> that was the I would I was just envisioning the ones they see on TV and the ones on the ground. Right, like right, yeah, like a leg, something. like yeah. a leg hold trap. No, but yeah. so we would make these traps, but they went all around the world. We made them, wow. some of them custom for like research for uh, universities. Yeah, a lot of them went for like the DNRs. Um, you know, they would get them when they would tag a bear, mm-hmm. and then they would retrap bears, trapping nuisance bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made one that was a floating bear trap that went to Russia. To catch the big <laughs> brown bears, um, little sun bears over in, I think it's in Taiwan where those little sun bears—they're like the size of a raccoon. Oh they're yeah, like a okay. little they're tiny like, bear. Are they like orange, orangey brown, like light brownish. Yeah, yeah. something okay. like that. Yeah. So we made like miniature ones to go catch these other little <laughs> wow. bears. Anyhow, so there were a couple unique things about it, but that was just another one of the. So that was part of the reason when I was getting the welding certifications. At the same time, that's when like the oil fields were starting to open up mm-hmm. out west. So the tar sand fields in Alberta were just over the border. Yeah. And guys were going up there and starting to, you know, it was an oil boom at that point. And forestry was dead. So all the guys I had worked with, everybody was running to go work at the oh. oil fields, um, which didn't necessarily appeal to me. But building bear traps was just like, that's, that's pretty, cool. Yeah. It, that's and, it, cool. and it's all in a lot of like little towns have something like that you yeah. know like i know like even elmore has like a machine shop right they did I, I'm, I'm assuming it's still there it's but still there my yeah. buddy works there. Oh, yeah. yeah 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 i have uh um trey's stepdad that's where he oh, worked okay. yeah and um 
but it's it, and it's cool to see all these little towns. That's one reason I like to drive places. Like growing up, I drove my my family would pack in a van, six of us in a van, and drive to Texas every winter. And that's what I want to do because I like just going driving, seeing things that you would never see. Um, and and you know if you if you're driving, you're never gonna know that that's there. And they build uh, roach motels for bears. You know what I mean? Like they're, <laughs> yeah. you're never gonna know that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um the other thing that doesn't really involve me, other than the fact that we helped keep the lights on, was that bar yeah. in uh, Bynum. The, the, just the backstory, if you want like the most Montana story, <laughs> right? So the backstory of that um, was that the lady that ran that bar owned it and ran it for years. Mm-hmm. She had, um, has since died, um, but she was up in her 90s, I think, finally. Mm-hmm. But this lady had a wooden leg, all right? And she won that bar. She won the deed to that bar <laughs> in a poker game in Texas. So back in like the fifth, I want to say probably it was like the late 50s or late so. 50s, yeah. Late 50s, early 60s. She was down in Texas, somewhere in Texas. Mm-hmm. And in a poker game, somebody put up the title to this bar in <laughs> Bynum, Montana, which she had never been anywhere out of Texas before. <laughs> And she won it, yeah. and so she won this bar and packed her bags and went up to go wow. run this bar <laughs> yeah. that she won, and then ran it for the next you know fifty years. Um, I'm not sure how the wooden leg came into the issue, yeah. but uh, if that was always there, or you know what had happened well, it's there. It's just a great way to like just picture this right, old that's lady just, yeah. with a wooden leg. Right, but I mean, it, a bar. it's like watching you know a, a Clint Eastwood western or something. Mm-hmm. Is you know how did you get this bar? <laughs> I won it in a poker game yeah. in Texas. You know, in Texas, wow. and, and then you move all the way up to Montana. Anyhow, that that I always loved that story. It was like the most Montana thing ever. Yeah, that, yeah. that is that is because um, when you say that, you're like, no, you didn't. You, you just assume that it's not true, you know? right? Like, or they're just like, folk, or just yeah, you know, somebody like, oh, I'm just gonna you know have this dive bar on the side of the road in the middle of this map dot, <laughs> you know, in the middle of the prairie, but. That's, that's how awesome. it, yeah. That's I mean, that's cool. how it, that's how it happened. So that's so, which is part of the reason I love Montana. Yeah, it's like those are the kinds of cool stories. You know, when we first moved there, we lived in Missoula, and um, we lived in town, and so a lot of that farming and the gardening and the homesteading thing that all was we were all capable of doing that yeah. or able to do that when we moved out because we weren't in the city. But even actually in the city. The city of Missoula was actually, I feel, ahead of its time a little bit. Or at least because I know like around here, like a lot of people would want chickens and big gardens. And they had... You were allowed to yeah. in the city limits. They you just could, yeah, they promoted it. You couldn't have a rooster. Yep. You could have up to six chickens, though. Um, our, the farmer's markets out there were just amazing yeah i mean just the things that they did to keep missoula i don't know what the word would be just very homesteady okay they did it it was it was really really cool there was always these bumper stickers people had on their cars that keep missoula weird oh yeah it was literally it is one of the weirdest places you'll ever go the joke was always that nobody is born there everybody it's it is such a huge transient town everybody just shows up there yeah so we moved there in the summer, and little did we know that we lived down the street from Ian Sutherland and Gretchen Grossman. 
Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, they live right down yes. the street. Wow. Yeah, we. I mean, they're still out there. They're yeah. still out there today, working and, and loving Montana. But I just think it's so funny that like we ran across people who were like, "You live here? Like that's crazy." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's awesome. But in, in Missoula, we always used to say Missoula was great because you could get everything you wanted, and it was kind of a hipster transient mm-hmm. town. Yeah. But then the the joke always for uh for me and like the other guys that I worked with stuff was that Missoula was only 15 minutes away from Montana. <laughs> because you can literally get in your car and as soon as you would just like drive out of the valley a little yeah. bit and get up into the mountain then all of a sudden you'd start running into you know the big hats oh okay. and uh you know just anything goes and it was like a total and like, total cowboy montana totally yeah. different environment range cattle you know just walking across the street across <laughs> the roads and stuff yeah. and yeah <laughs> When um, so, how long were you guys homesteading out there before you decided to move back? Um, so we were out there about six years. I would say the last few years was true homesteading, especially okay. when we lived in central Montana. But as our homesteading started to get bigger, that's when Tony kind of had that idea of like if we started a farm, yeah. we couldn't do it in Montana because we sell you know one cow and we flood the market. I mean, we lived in a town of 28, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And just getting to other farmers markets were not like farmers markets around here. I mean, we would be going hours okay. to travel. Right. Um, I think people don't grasp how big yeah. Montana is. So like when, if, if I had to go down to Wyoming for work from my house, it took me, I would drive for nine hours and I'd still be in Montana. Yeah. Wow. Like it, you just, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, yeah, when, when I started researching kind of like what we were going to do, if, like, oh, okay, this maybe this is the next thing I want to do. Yeah. Um, I talked to the friend of ours that was running the vegetable thing. And, I mean, he, he would have to go, you know, all these major cities, they're all three hours from each other. Okay. And I just could not see that as being a feasible thing. Yeah, it just doesn't seem viable to, let's, like you said, let's, let's have this farm, but also waste time and money, like, trying to sell our stuff. Right. Yeah. And so I started looking into the demographic um, of who we, you know, who buys this, who, who do yeah. we need and what sort of population base. And at the time there, we didn't even have a million people in the state. Oh, wow. So I started looking around and like I said earlier, I wanted to leave Ohio. Yeah. So I literally looked at, <laughs> I already lived in Montana and I knew I didn't want to go back to Ohio. Yeah. So that left me 48 options. Yeah. I looked at every one of them wow. and tried to come up with any other place, but here I'm, I own, we I talked about Missouri, uh-huh. but um, at the end of the day, I looked at it and I said, "You know what? We're you. I mean, you grew up here. You know how it is. Everything starts at the coast and work its way in. Yeah. And it hadn't gotten here yet. Oh, really. okay, okay. And so when I looked at the market and the viability of it, I thought I had to bite the bullet. And I said, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, and another <laughs> thing we'll too back. is when we said going back, we we're like we at that time. Everybody in our in both sides of the family lived here. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, we have tremendous support yeah. to start this because, you know, our parents know, par- you know, people like yeah. or, through or, the or word even, of mouth. Right. I would say e- even just the start of it, like, hey, they're going to start this ranch and you, you'll have just because people know you or are curious about you, you'll have these people like, okay, I want to buy your eggs or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know? right. Just the starting and, point. And that was, a, yeah. that was huge. That was really Honestly, the, the, one of the big reasons that we came back is we did have this big support system, not just with our family, but the whole community. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been here, our families have been here for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, and so that helps out a lot. Or I kind of looked at it as like, well, if we go to Missouri, then I'm basically starting exactly where I was before. I'm moving to a place that I don't know anybody. Yeah. I've never been. 
and I can't call in any favors, yeah. you know, what are we, it would have made it a lot harder on mm-hmm. us, I yeah. think. Um, so I mean, and it was not even coming here and doing it yeah. was not easy. Still. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Well, and I I think it's it's funny because every adventure that we've started, and I truly call them adventures to make them sound more positive <laughs> with, from the from the start. I mean, everything has worked out to the best advantage. I think to the best, I believe. Yeah. But like when we moved back to Ohio, like we lived with Mark, we lived with Tony's dad in Perrysburg, um, but we lived in. Literally an old old chicken coop in the backyard. Like it's a mother. That's like a, like a mother in law suite. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was literally a chicken coop at one time. It was a farm homestead yeah. way back. So to think with no heat. <laughs> with when, no when we heat. We lived through that winter with two space heaters. Oh, literally, like what you have right here. <laughs> yeah. We had two of those. That and then our dogs used to keep us warm. Wow. Yeah. And it would drive the squirrels were would hide nuts like under the floor. <laughs> And the dogs could hear them, could oh, hear the no. squirrels. So the do- it used to drive the dogs crazy. They could hear the squirrels yeah. underneath. I mean, that, so that's what we came back to. And we had a farm out in Liberty Center yep. that we, we leased. Yes. But So we didn't live out there. So mm. I would have to commute from Perrysburg to Liberty Center like twice a day, all through the winter. And that, that first year, I was just like, what were we thinking? Because that first, that first winter, we got so much snow. And the pri- the pipes froze at that f- first farm, and so we had to like literally walk down the hill to the stream with five gallon buckets to fill water to feed the pigs and the in the in the chickens. And I'm like, what did we get ourselves into? Like, why why did I decide to ride on this crazy dream that you decided <laughs> to start? You know, like this is. But, <laughs> the, have you noticed the trend that this girl has followed me through all kinds <laughs> of craziness, and she has never ever once been like, you know. This is not a good idea. I, I, I will t- <laughs> She's okay. I will tell you what. That um, is more important than anything because I, obviously I, I don't have a farm. But any idea I have, any just like this podcast or, you know, I've talked about it before where I, I came in the garage and I was talking to my wife and saying, hey, you know, it'd be cool. What if we like Wallace off Bill studio? She was, okay, let's do it. Like she's all about like, is, is she's always make sure there is some sort of plan. Like, okay, what's the plan with this? Because I even said like, hey, what if I quit my job and all I want to do is podcast? And she's like, that's fine, but you have to show me a plan. Like, what do you want to do? And, but she's always like, behind it and and i and it'd be difficult to to get where you're at now like if you guys weren't both like okay you know you might have the crazy idea but her thinking might like okay well let's bring it down a little bit but let's let's do it you know yeah you know she's smart making you have a plan yeah because michelle's never made me have a plan (laughs) she just says okay you know but that's good too because you'll get it figured out then you then you you have to work hard to figure it out and then you might you might the the plan might have said a but you might have had to go all the way to F to figure it out, you know. Right. But well, but without it, you just you just figure yeah. stuff out. And I work well. On, I work very well under pressure when I know it has yeah. to. It was not an option to yeah. work out any other way. It had to work. Yeah. Well, but the other thing too is I've been I've known you for twenty years, and I know that you don't just kind of on a whim. You, you don't do stuff on a whim, and yeah. you don't kind of you know wish wash kind of thing. Like when you have an idea, like you actually are the one that kind of has a plan in your head and you've worked out many different scenarios. Cause trust me, there are a couple of things that you have said before that you're like, Oh, I want to do this, this, and this, but it's never manifested <laughs> because you've already worked it out in your head going, I've talked myself right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm know. like, okay, well, as long as you think it out and you think that it's for the best, I mean, yeah. 
Well, when you guys had that farm, or when you started, what what did you have? Chickens? Uh, oh, when we pigs? first started oh, really? in Liberty Center. In Liberty Center, well, yeah. Yeah. So originally, we did. We had hogs. I think I went and bought some piglets, and oh she was like, "Let." I said, "I think I'm gonna get eight. And she's, like, "Can we just get just get six? Because I'm not sure that we'll, we'll even be able to sell them." Yeah. I came home with 10. 12. You 12. came home with 12 and I cried. I was like, how are we going to get rid of all these yeah, pigs? I came home with 12. I was you like, are insane. I want, I want eight. She Dude. says six. I came home with 12. There was so. a sale. What you yeah. Right. yeah. Basically, he get, he got a deal to right. take them all. Like, well, wow. all right. That, that, that'll work. Um, I mean, that's a story we laugh about now because, I mean, geez, what, seven years later? Like, we're running over 50 hogs a year through yeah. our farm. And we're like, ha, Oh, I'm breeding. I'm, yeah, we're breeding yeah. hogs. I mean, yeah. It's yeah now and now everything that used to take me six hours to do takes me you know six hours it take two of us six hours to do something and I do it in like five minutes by myself yeah, yeah. I mean it's you don't know what you don't know yep. and that that's what was I'm assuming that's what was important for that Liberty Center farm yeah, yeah. like well and out, the other thing people know? said geez all the way out in Liberty Center I said you know what actually I liked it because nobody got to see all the mistakes I made that first yeah, year yeah. <laughs> so we well, we did have uh, we had hogs and chickens. And then we actually were doing some vegetables early on, also. Okay. And that um, was a mistake right from the get go. Yeah. Well, because yes. I know, I know at the at the ranch now it was a f- several years before you guys were like, all right, now we're going to do vegetables, or it seemed like that was like you you had this like greenhouse or something that you built too. Oh, that um, but that was for the animals. Yeah. That's for, oh, for okay, animal, okay, for the okay. winter so, housing. Yeah. So we don't do we don't do any vegetables at all. We actually um, became really great friends with Kurt and Corinna Bench who own Shared Legacy Farms. Oh, okay, okay. And they are the masters when it comes to vegetables. Uh. And so when we first met them that first year, when we were thinking like, oh, we'll do meat and veggies at the same time, once we met them, we're like, "Mm, we're not doing veggies. (laughs) Like, absolutely not. Like, we don't have a green thumb. Like, I try (laughs) to grow just tomatoes on my own, and it's just sad. And we're like, we wouldn't have a farm if it was just veggies right now. (laughs) Like, animals are a little bit hardier. Um, But that was the niche that worked really great for us. And and I interrupted, but you said you tried to, like, when you first started, you tried to do both. And and what what after... (laughs) When you guys tried, what made you think, like, this ain't happening? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, to do ve- <laughs> <laughs> there, There's a lot of things. Um, but to try to do, you know, there, it's a whole different, like, infrastructure setup, mm-hmm. basically. Okay. To, if you're going to do any kind of crop or if you're going to run livestock. Um, and the one thing, vegetables are super labor intensive. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of specialized equipment. And those are two things that I did not have. Okay, um, was labor <laughs> um, and specialized equipment, yeah. or the money to buy specialized equipment. With the animals, it required a lot less. Mm-hmm. So, the way I looked at it from from a business model, just you know, not not even talking about the selling it part, but just the part of like investing it or how far can you go with your dollar. Vegetables were like at the beginning, maybe a little bit easier to get into, Mm -hmm. um, at least on a small scale, the animals, you kind of, you're required to have somewhat of a scale, but the money that you invest is not in like depreciating equipment. It is in appreciating animals. Okay. If that makes sense. So I didn't have to buy, you know, like a piece of equipment that would shape my, uh, vegetable beds a certain way or something. Yeah. But I had to, take that money and invest it in animals, but the animals got sold. Yeah. And you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so to me at the beginning, 
that seemed like the better option. The other part was, like Michelle said, after you know we started becoming good friends with Kurt and Corinna, Kurt grew up doing vegetables. They were very good at it, mm-hmm. and they basically had a corner on the market already. I didn't even really know how to grow vegetables, and still don't, still don't. <laughs> but I knew it was like this is not a market like that you want to compete in. And at, at that time, it was not a real super popular thing around here. Okay, it was something that was kind of just coming around. Yeah. So there were not a whole bunch of people looking, you know, to get into to the you know straight uh, farm Fresh. to fork or you know yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. At the time, and I just thought a better idea would be to start a non-competing enterprise, but where we could still share the same customers. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I looked at it that way, and through all the conversations that Kurt and I had, I just realized, you know what, I really don't have any interest in vegetables. It was more just kind of like to help cash flow along. Mm -hmm. Um, But I said, let's start pairing up on stuff. And so just like we did with the turkeys out in Montana – that was really the first thing that I proposed to them is said, hey, why don't we start um, a thanks, what we call like a Thanksgiving share or what, you know, where people could order and we will provide the turkey and you provide all of the root crops, all the vegetables oh, wow, yeah. for what you need for the Thanksgiving holiday at the end of the season. Um, and that helped us grow our customer base. Okay. So I always used to joke that my my business plan was I was just going to ride Kurt's coattails. <laughs> um, which you know what? Any business venture, anything it it it's better if you know people, because right? yeah. any no one no one if you're a good business, no one's going to turn down help, right. right? Or advertising or any of that stuff. Right. And if you're a good person and if you mean well, then then it works out for everybody. Well, and it was mutually beneficial as well yeah. because they were also looking for someone to supply for their egg share. Oh, okay. So that was a great partnership and relationship as well. So we had a flock and great egg layers and and they needed eggs for their veggies and so the one thing that they do extraordinarily extraordinarily well Corinna is um with just finding other farms that she can add to besides just the veggies okay you know so people can buy all these different shares and their veggies and pick them up all at the same time so it literally is a drive through grocery store wow i mean she right. they do such a great so being able to pair with them mm-hmm. And having customers that just know how pickups run and making it super efficient was was a really great relationship. Yeah. And so, still is. Yeah. So just like, you know, when they, if you read basically any business book, they'll be like, you need to build your team. You know, you yeah. don't need to be good at everything. You yep. just need to find the, the right people, the right people in the right position, mm-hmm. you know. And that's sort of the way I looked at it was with them was this was beneficial. We share a lot of customers back and forth. Um but that was a real that helped build sort of this one stop shop for people because now we even have a dairy also, so you yep. can get milk, butter, and ice cream. Oh and, wow! Right, so that makes it very convenient and helps us all to compete because before that was always the issue. It was like, well, yeah, I get my chicken or I get my eggs from you, but then I have to go to the grocery store for everything else. Well, then as soon as you go, those people go to the grocery store. It's just it's more convenient to buy your chicken there yeah. and just say. So that's we would people would fall off from the customer base that way. Yeah. Um, and so this helped us build and retain. And, and that was really, that was pretty key. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, you got to do what you're good at. And I'm, you know, way better with animals than yeah. I am with vegetables. And every time, you know, Kurt and I sit around and drink a beer and talk, uh, talk 
you know, business or whatever. I, he always, he would, has no desire to get into the animal and I have no desire to get into the vegetable. So, which makes it work out perfect yeah, that way. Yeah. So it, it is, it's, it's almost, uh, like you said, it's a it's one big grocery store with all these other, yeah. other businesses. Together. Right. And so, yeah. and that's what it is because now what I think we have all come to learn over the last few years is the convenience factor is what was missing before from everybody. Yeah. You know, from all these little CSAs or everything, it was always the convenience that we could not compete on because mm-hmm. we didn't have the scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that has helped us out a lot. Yeah. How, how many years were you out at Liberty Center? Just the first, not even, not, not, actually, even, yeah, not, not even, not even a full one. one. Oh, really? I was on realitter.com every single night <laughs> in that chicken coop trying to find a farm for us. And so the farm that we have right now, I, it came up, I think it was on realtor, like not even a week. And I put it in front of Tony and he's just like, it's not, not, I need more acres. And I'm like, look at this property. It's not enough acres, Michelle. And I'm like, we need to go see this. And so finally, like he kind of looked at it then said something to his dad. And then it, like, once it gets into his brain, it just yeah. kind of manifests in there. And so we went down and looked at it and we're like, this is key because there's, you know, some hills and stuff to it. And just the landscape of the farm is not set up for like traditional row cropping. Okay. It's and it has like some trees and some some wooded areas where it's perfect for animals. So we knew this was going to be the spot, you know, because every every kind of farm that we looked at, like the land was good, but the house was horrible. Oh, and we're like, okay. OK, it's it's livable. Like we can live through, you know, like <laughs> you, I, you never want to move into a new place with like, well, we can make it work. Like yes. you want to make right. it work. Right? Yeah. But around here, that was the nature of the thing because yeah. the, the farmland is what's valuable here. Yes. It's the yes. acres that are valuable. So anytime a farm, you know, gets passed down and, you know, the farmer dies, everything gets sold off or whatever. The way it always happens is the county makes you leave the two acres with the buildings. Well, those buildings are just big liabilities for the oh, farmers around here. Okay. They, they don't want to take care of buildings. They want to plant corn. Yeah. Right. And so, the land is what they're after. So even if they had to buy the entire thing, what they'll always immediately do is go back and resurvey and parcel off the, the two acres or whatever where the actual home site is and then sell that off to somebody oh, because they okay. don't want it. Yeah. They're not going to keep any, you know, the old buildings and stuff, they don't, it doesn't even, they're not useful. They don't yeah. fit the equipment anymore. Yeah. Um, but for us, it was useful yeah. and it was much more beneficial to have a place that already had some infrastructure already into it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, so we got, it's a gem. We got super it, lucky. It's all, I went out yeah. there. I, this is, it probably has to be five years ago now. I know. Yeah, when we were driving while. here, I was like, do you realize Mateo's nine? He's nine. Nine. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. I think he was, I think he was th- maybe six years ago. I think he was yeah. three when we went out there and it's awesome out there. And he had a blast and I, and I, he, he was only three, but I enjoyed like you like telling me everything about it. It was really cool to learn about that stuff, even like how you mark the piglets, uh, how you um, oh notch, oh, notch the ears, like yeah. all that stuff was really yeah. cool too. So it's <laughs> to keep it's, track of it's awesome out there. And then all the videos you guys share, I like those too. When you're showing how how you move the cows and stuff, yeah, that those are cool. So it's yeah, it's awesome out there. It's uh yeah, Kurt oh, he lovingly calls it Disney. It's a Disney farm. <laughs> it's our Disney <laughs> this farm. This is a Disney farm. All the animals yeah. have giant eyeballs. And- yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, I think he's, a, you know, our, our, our farm, I always tell people our farm is the farm that, you know, the, the industrial farming uses on, you know, as the picture. Yeah. It's what you expect, <laughs> you know, the big red barns and the rolling grass hills. And yeah. that's what they want you to think, 
um, yeah. you know, but we actually do have it. So we are, we're very fortunate. About uh, yeah. It's, it's cool out there. Um, so when, when you guys first moved there, was it, what, was it just chickens and pigs at first? Yes. Yeah. So, chickens, pigs, and Thanksgiving turkeys. It, okay. it took a while for us to get into beef, into cattle. Um, and, yeah. Cause it, well, one, there wasn't any fencing. Yeah, at all. So yeah. we had to put up that infrastructure. They're still barely fencing. <laughs> There's just enough that the cows are happy. <laughs> so if you train them grow. enough, right? You can, right. You can train those right. cows. Well, yeah. yeah. And they, they, even if they get out, they don't go anywhere. They yeah. just stand on the other side, and then they're just confused about why they're on that side. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, uh, and, and then part of that was, you know, so beef is what I always wanted to do. Okay. Right? I, I, was, go- I was a Montana cowboy. So that's what I was going to do in Ohio is yeah. be a cowboy in Ohio, right? Uh, I was going to be the, the grass-fed beef baron of Wood County. <laughs> that was my goal. Still not quite um, there. I don't know if hey, I'm... I don't know goal, if I'm, though. But if I become the baron, then Michelle would be the baroness, and that's pretty there you awesome. Go. The baron and baroness. Um, so, but back, so when we started, mm-hmm. it was just like the vegetables were about cash flow and helping it along chickens were also the same thing okay and so um the chickens and the pork they take so much it's such a shorter amount of time mm-hmm. um to market for those than for beef uh, and at the time also the beef industry the way it was there was really no money to be made as far as how much it cost like that entrance fee i was talking about yeah a calf cost so much money back then um it was just the way that the market was that by the time you raised it and sold it, you weren't really, you were doing it for nothing at that point. And so we just stuck with what we could do to keep revenue and to keep the business alive and keep it floating. Knowing that, knowing knowing that beef, beef. right. So I sort of had like a five-year plan, you know, most, I don't know what it is. Restaurants are, that's gotta be worse than farms, but you know, 80% of farms die in in the first five years. Well, just small businesses in general. Yeah. Yeah, Just, just die. Um, and so I was trying to not do too much too quick and get in over my head, um, which I've been known to do. <laughs> but so that's why it took us so long to get into beef. And it was always hard to try to explain that to people as to why we couldn't do it. You know, it was, and a, a lot of it was um, I had to learn yeah. what I was doing on a, as, as far as, you know, I didn't grow up with animals. Mm-hmm. So I literally had no idea how to do anything. Yeah, um, our, our both of our all of our parents were like, "You're you're moving back to do what? <laughs> like farm? Like like right. we're so like a, a few generations removed from any type of farming yeah. at all." And I think the other thing too, when it came to the chickens and turkeys and pigs, is we also wanted to make sure that we were really good and efficient at raising them before the beef came along. Okay. You know, where it was more of a second nature type of thing. We just, we knew we had it down pat. And so that before we put in another enterprise into the farm, we wanted to make sure that everything was at the correct tier. Well, well, you knew knew there was going to be issues when you brought in cattle because you like this is something new i don't know everything there's going to be things that pop up so the chickens and the pigs like you said had to be no issues we got it all down so that's right those we don't have to worry about this we can put all, all our energy into the yeah. cows right so yeah. you have to run make sure all those systems are running but then the thing that made it a little harder um like i was saying is that you know we didn't know anything about raising these animals mm-hmm. but i also didn't really know anything about running a business either oh wow, you know yeah. and so if you think about it i i had to kind of learn on the fly and teach myself um you know how to run a business yeah. but also 
how to even do the day-to-day stuff yeah. of what we were what we were doing and how to not have my wife leave me and how to not go crazy, you know. <laughs> so that that made it a little difficult also. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, Michelle, are you are you teaching like as this is going on? Because I, yeah. I know that you were at BGSU. I don't know if you're still, still there. Or, still am. Okay. So I was. Yeah, I was teaching art. So what what kind of was our saving grace was that this whole time when we moved back, I was fully employed, so Tony could spend twenty four seven efforts into building this farm. Yeah. And it's still the same way. I mean, we. Um, I've since gotten, have been able to leave teaching. Uh, I still teach at BGSU at night um, and work in their education department. But um, that was the one factor was like, if I can keep steady employment with health insurance um, and allow him to kind of not have to go to another job and be able to just devote 24 seven to this, then I think we have a real fighting chance because if he had a part-time job, I don't think we would be as big as we are today or as successful as we are today. That, that, you know, the, the nature of the, like the gig economy is like, I love doing this thing. Um, but I also need, I'm realistic where I need to have a job so I can keep doing this thing. But those, that job never goes away because that's security and, and you need that. So that was, that's awesome that you were able to focus on that because that's, I'm assuming that's, the main factor in getting this farm right so and that's one of the things and we've had i'm to the point now where um you know i have other people that come to me you know guys that want to start it and and they're asking me because they for some reason are under this assumption like i know what i'm doing now (laughs) um well you still got the business yeah right i mean we've we've made it um, fake it till you make it right we've made it and it's kept, kept me employed um but that was important, and that was advice that I got early on was that if you're going to do this, you have to be able to – you have to be dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. And every minute that you're out working some job in town, two things happen. One is you're out working someplace else. means you're not working at home on your business. And the other thing is you have to treat it as a business. And that was a hard concept, and it is a hard concept for a lot of people to understand is – you have to treat it as a business yeah. because that's what it is. And you're not homesteading anymore. Yeah. So a lot of the the ways that we would do things or what we had to do, everything had you have to run numbers through everything. Yeah. It's not just a matter of, oh, you know, I think okay, yeah, well, I want to raise some ducks just because I want to raise some ducks, yeah. or maybe like I think I'll raise some rabbits. That seems like I could sell that, but if you don't already have a market for that, yeah. you know, that all has to come out of pocket. So running it from a as a business is totally different mm-hmm. and i will also add um farming in general there are so many variables when you're dealing with live animals you know the old saying is if you have livestock you have dead stock oh wow you know yeah. and so that happens uh weather happens a lot of rain happens early frost happens and those are things that you know if, if you were just making widgets in a factory those are things that you might not have to account for yep um, so it's a lot easier to estimate how things are going to turn out, um, what your cash flow needs to be. And so that was a big lesson that we learned early on, early on and more or less the hard way yeah. several times yeah. was, you, you know, you, you better always be saved up for a rainy day. You, yeah. you, you make hay when the sun shines and then you'd be saved up for that rainy day. Yeah. Um, all those lessons, was there ever one of one? starting all the way back to where you're like, we can't do this. 
Was there ever a time where that happened? And I would assume it had to be both of you to say that because if one said, hey, I don't think we can do this, the other one's like, no, we got this. We can keep going. But was there ever a time where it was like, this ain't happening? <laughs> I think, well, maybe more for me was when we were at that Liberty Center farm and it was so gosh darn cold. And I'm in the barn and I am just, I'm just like, why? Why did we move back to do, like, why did I say yes? We why a, did we I, had a good thing why did going I invest in your dream? Like, <laughs> that was, she was questioning a lot of her life decisions at that point, I think. You know, when, but I think when it, you're carrying buckets of water yeah. up from the creek, up and you know i'm cutting Two feet of snow i'm cutting snow trails for her and she's carrying buckets of water up because everything's frozen wow it's kind of like this is not exactly how i thought well it was i mean work you out, know what's but. so funny is like we we talk about like having kind of this weird gray cloud over us on on certain things like we when we moved to montana like he goes into forestry and the wood you know the timber market bottoms out yeah and so we have like 11 w2s between us trying to make ends meet in montana we moved back for this farm and we're dealing with like frozen pipes and a farm that's 45 you know minutes away and trying to start this business and that first summer when we moved back it i don't know if you remember it the third uh 13. 13, 2013. It rained every single day that summer. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember and that. And we're in the back. Rain. A lot of rain. rain. You know, and of course, you know. And then the winter was horrendous yeah. after that. And we're like, why? <laughs> well, and one thing, too, is like we forgot about the humidity. Oh. It's not humid in Montana. Yeah. And then it was like humid and sticky that summer. And I was, I'm like, oh my gosh, this I weather is horrible. Forget. Why? The mosquitoes I forgot about. I was like, what? This is a so horrible when I So when I think about, you know, dips in the farm, it's that first that first summer of yeah. just trying to start it. Nothing tops that Man. first year to, to 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 the point of like I can't do this anymore. Um, and for it to be your first year, that's got to make everything like so much better. Like like oh yeah, you're always thinking about well the the roughest patch was when we were trying to get this going. Yeah. So if we co- encounter anything else, it's nothing's ever going to be worse well, than I mean, getting the farm and just and just living on the farm yeah. the second year that was, was like huge, oh, I mean that my helped gosh. a lot too because yeah. it didn't help the amount of hours. I mean I I oh, literally yeah. you know I still work sixteen in, hours in, a day just you know seven days a week when we're in the in the busy season. I mean yeah. but that's not unusual for. Yeah. I mean that's part of the nature, and then but then this time of year I have time off. Yeah, I, I take all my weekends at one time, you know, in a row, <laughs> um, well, which which I'm okay with. It's like the opposite of a school teacher's. Uh, oh this is, yeah, this yeah. is schedule, his summer. You know? This is his summer. It's right kind of it's my three months of slow time. Yeah, so I'm okay with that. I don't know that there was any one time where I thought that I couldn't make this work. Yeah, um, there are times where I would you know get mad at myself and think. I wasn't getting far enough, fast enough. Okay. Um, and fortunately, I think you, from a business side, I think what is a huge, um, a huge thing for people is to not get in over your head financially. Okay. Because that relieves a huge amount of pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as an example, if I were to want to build like a big... Um, like a big chicken grow house, mm-hmm. you know, and grow chicken for Purdue or Tyson or something. They require you to have two houses and each one of those houses costs somewhere between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars to make. Yeah. But you're on the hook for that. Yeah. They're not on the hook for it. I saw they, a documentary about right, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so um you are you that's on you. Yeah. And so if for any reason 
anything is late or slow or you get a bad batch of birds and the weights aren't heavy enough and you don't make the money out of it, you're the one that is on the hook mm -hmm. for those giant payments to the bank. Um, and I see that a lot when people start, they immediately think you have to have, you know, the new green tractor and then, you know, all the equipment and everything. And um, I see people get in over their heads on it. Yeah. And I have friends of mine, um, guys that I, other farmers that I deal with and say, oh yeah, well, we used to raise hogs. Um, you know, we had a breeding program, but then, you know, the guy from ag credit came and told us, you know, it's time to sell them. You gotta, you gotta sell the animals Oh wow! because the bank, when you borrow the money, they look at the books, they look at the numbers and they will tell you when it's time to sell your cattle and wow. when it's yeah. time, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I never wanted to have that over my head. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just, we, we grew slowly. We grew when we could. Um, yeah. And so that's why, you know, pork and chicken and eggs is what we started with because the turnaround time was what, a lot quicker. Yeah. And it's what we could afford to start. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it, it only costs a couple hundred bucks to, you know, at the beginning, when, you know, the initial investment out yes. of my pocket, as opposed to at the time, just to buy a calf was like 1100 bucks. Oh, wow. Well, and the joke, the joke three or four years in. From customers, they would always ask, you know, when's beef coming? And Tony said, well, you just got to keep buying chickens. Buy more chickens and <laughs> that beef will come, a, you know? Like, wow, it's yeah, kind yeah. of a joke, but it's serious. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say it jokingly because I say everything jokingly, but I was dead serious. Yeah. If you want beef, you have to keep buying chicken because it's the only way that we can get there. Yeah. So we did, were not able to get into that until we could afford to get yeah. into it. Um, are are your, um, your chickens, are they... Are they the, like egg layers and the meat birds? Are they the same, or do you guys have no, separate? No, we have we have separate. So because um, I know like just based on my low experience trying to buy buy ducks, they always let you know like this is a good meat bird or this is a good layer or some. They say sometimes there's like good combinations, you know. But I didn't know. If so we we use um, for our meat chickens. We use the same corn. It's a Cornish cross that like the big houses use that okay. Tyson produce like that they all use, but they are 100% on grass, <laughs> yeah. you know, so they're raised drastically differently, which is, you know, in the taste and in the, you know, flavor and everything like that. And then we have a separate laying flock. I don't know what, are, what's the type of bird that we have for the laying. Flock? Those are, those are, um, now that it's a Brown hybrid. Um, we have had different birds at different times mm -hmm. and usually becomes just a, a matter of the lay rate, you know, okay, the number yeah. of eggs that you could, again, this is one of those things where, you have to differentiate from homesteading, when, mm -hmm. you know, and just say, well, it's nice. I'd like to have all these different um, fancy chickens, right? Yeah. Different fancy, <laughs> you know, little chickens and everything. Yeah. And then you have to look and say, all right, well, they don't lay very many eggs. Yeah. Um, the eggs, the quality of the egg is no different. Mm -hmm. um, so I need the yeah. production. I need yeah. that production yeah. rate. We can still take a, a bird that was made for production and put it out into a, a natural environment and create a superior product. Yeah. But we need that production rate. When, how long can uh, a chicken lay, in it, lay eggs for you? Like They'll, Well, and again, that's one of those things. So our laying hens are, they only go 19 months. Okay. And so a bird will continue to lay eggs, but again, it becomes a numbers game. Like it might lay an egg and then two days later lay, lay another one or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's so, not an everyday. Yeah. Right. So you get them until the first molt. You know, when, when a chicken molts and loses its feathers and reju it'll stop laying for 16 weeks. And then all that nutrition that it was using to lay eggs mm -hmm. goes into rejuvenating the feathers. 
every time that that cycle happens, the bird's lay rate drops. Oh, okay. All and right. it, after the second year, after the second time, it drops off significantly. Yeah. Um, and so generally from a production standpoint, it doesn't make any sense to maintain that bird past its first molt. What do you do with those chickens? We, um, so we do try to sell them first. Some people that like just want backyard hens that don't really care about a lay rate, but we do butcher those because okay. they're great for like stews. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so yeah. the, the meat's tough, but when you slow cook it, it's just stock. I mean, it's, uh, it's a really okay. good, uh, still a good cooking chicken, a slow cooking chicken. And so we have a lot of people that, always ask for stew birds. Oh, okay. And I'm like, we, well, every two years is when we'll have a big group of stew birds ready to go. And there's some people that you just can't find stew birds anywhere. Oh, wow. And so we have some people that just wait and will email us every couple months, you know, t- yeah. the, the, like the timer to see on, when we'll have them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. On the big scale, that's what goes to like Campbell's, you know, for, like, oh, okay. chicken yeah. noodle soup. soup. Okay. I mean, that's where the, those birds, because if you think about it, that's one of those, you know, the laying houses, they yeah. have that same issue and they have to turn over a million birds yeah. at a time. Where do you oh. go with a million <laughs> spent hens? Um, but, I, I, but that's the answer is yeah. Campbell soup or dog food or, you know, yeah. wherever. But we don't, that's one of those things that we had to develop that market and yeah. we had to sort mm-hmm. of, teach people what they can do with a stewing hen because that was the same problem as we could sell a lot more eggs, but I was so hesitant to go up in the number yeah. because what was I going to do with all these hens yeah. after that's the other part of the problem. Well, that and, that you don't was, see. and that was also another um, thing that we worked with with shared legacy farm is we did, we sold chicken soup shares, Oh wow! you know, yeah. so they would get two hens and then they would get carrots and celery and an onion from <laughs> share legacy farm. You know what I mean? So right. awesome. For like, yeah. t- like $20 or 25 bucks. And it was, it was like, yeah. and That's then you could awesome. build whatever you want. And so we would give recipes, but it was just another way of how you could use that bird. And yeah. so a lot of it too is education because we do have a lot of people that will email us like, Oh, we bought these steaks or we bought this. What's the best way to cook it? Oh, so it's okay. that kind of teaching as well. Yeah. Do you do you have any anything? I'm I'm assuming you guys have a website. Um, do you guys have anything like that on your website that that um, like tutorials or how to do things or anything? I like do that? have some recipes that pair with stuff. I have made some YouTube videos of just how you cut up a whole chicken. Okay, you know, yeah. Um, that was one of the things we I used to we would only sell whole chicken. Oh, um, because again, it was just one of those things. It takes a lot more time to cut up a chicken. Yeah. yeah. And it used to be, I was kind of stubborn at the beginning, and it was like out of principle. I just wouldn't cut chickens up for people because, but how can you not cut up a chicken? Yeah. Um, but we're so, a lot of a lot of people are so far removed just mm-hmm. from. They literally, I mean, people with, part of it is just people have been scared to death. They think if you just happen by chance to touch a piece of raw chicken, you're going to instantly, yeah. Yeah. you know, die or something, mm-hmm. you know, from salmonella. It's ridiculous. So. It just kind of dawned on me. I was like, I'm not out of principle. I just, I will teach you how, yeah, right? I was going to yeah. teach a man to fish. So I was, <laughs> if you want, I, well, let's open a bag and I will hand over hand every, you know, yeah. every person, every soccer mom that has never touched a chicken before. And I will teach you how to chop up a chicken. Yeah. Um, and we did th- that way for a couple years. And then eventually someone was like, well, can't I just pay you? I'll pay you extra if you'll just do it. So like, then I started, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> then I started, <laughs> then I started thinking, I was like, well, all right, it you know, it used to take me a while, but sometime after like I don't know, twenty thousand birds or something, it's like you're pretty quick at yeah, it. Yeah. So I was like, well, all right, well if you're gonna pay me to do it, then. And I'm assuming it's not everybody that wants it. No, no, we have of- we have a large group of our because um, we do chicken shares, yeah. so people will 
buy chickens at the beginning of the year and they'll get a group of them throughout throughout the year so they're already prepaid okay um but people will buy them whole and they will come to the farm when they're fresh not frozen because any of our pickup sites everything is frozen okay um but we have people that will specifically drive down on a saturday and get them fresh because they want to cut them they want to freeze them a certain way Uh, we have a lot of people that do that nice so it but it was not that way you know just like i was saying at the beginning when we started seven years ago we didn't have those sort of foodie people that mm-hmm. were real interested in doing this stuff. At that point, we only really had people that were, you know, entertaining the idea of organic, right, or, or, or changing fed. from changing from chi- boneless, skinless chicken breast. Always, do you have chicken chunks? Do you have boneless, skinless chicken breast? And I said, Yeah, I have boneless, skinless. It's you just have to bone it, and skin it. it yourself, cut, cut the bones <laughs> off of it. You know, I was like, because again, it's one of those things. Well, where do you think the rest of that chicken goes? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So in the grocery store, they have outlets for the rest of that. We that wasn't an option for us. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, you can get boneless, skinless chicken breast, but and I'll give you the rest of it for free. You know, <laughs> but it still costs the same. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> where so where you're at now? Um, is this is this what you envision is this the end of of it or or you guys want to do more because I, I mean i don't know where you go after cattle um as far as you, adding any any adding other stuff, yeah. enterprises any other sort of thing yeah not really uh we've you know i i always would say that um i try not to do things that i don't know that i can sell mm-hmm. you know I, I that's why we don't really raise a lot of extra like we don't do anything. lamb we don't do ducks uh, because yeah. we have had the off customer that says you know, I'm looking for lamb chops or I'm looking for this or that. And we will entertain the notion on things once we have a lot more of our customers ask for it. Yeah. So we'll look at the it in terms of numbers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the other big mistake people make. And I, I sort of alluded to that before when I said about why don't we do ducks or rabbits or yeah. something is same way with the chickens is from the very beginning. I didn't want to raise chickens on spec. So yeah. I didn't think it was a good business model idea to make something. And then go try to sell it, yeah. right? I mean, that, that didn't seem right to me. Um, you do more of the lean manufacturing, more of the Toyota way where demand pulls yeah. uh, production instead of the other way around. That's why Jeep has these giant parking lots full of just, you know, acres and acres because they want, don't want to shut that line. And they'll make those things whether they have somebody to buy it or not. Yeah. Toyota looks at it the other way. I looked at it the other way and said, I'm not going to raise really any more chickens than what I know I can sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why we've always done it that way. Well, yeah. I, I learned that just with my our backyard ducks we had. People, <laughs> uh, the question was always, you can eat duck eggs? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're just like chicken eggs. And, and then I had like, because in order to convince Andrea, I had a bunch of research I did. And she, all these questions she asked me. And, you know, and I was, the number one thing I tell people is, yes, I love to eat scrambled duck eggs. Um, but a lot of people like to bake with them because they're bigger and they make mm-hmm. everything more moist. And I would explain all this to people. But I had so many duck eggs, like I couldn't. I I would give them away to people, and then but they wouldn't eat them because they were afraid to eat them. Like it's just it's the same right. thing. Throw but, them our way, I'll have some. Yeah. Well, eventually, <laughs> so eventually, I found a people some people that would buy them, and you know that I could sell. Uh, my friends are surprised. You can sell a dozen duck eggs for five dollars. I go, somebody bought them. Yeah. You know, and well, and so in that that's. That's great. Um, but so that's one of those things we look at. So when people ask like, oh, what, you guys, boy, yeah. if you did lamb, we would buy lamb. I said, well, all right. Generally, what I do is I just kind of keep a running tally of how many times I get yeah. asked about something. And if it seems like there might be some enough interest, I'll spend the time to run the numbers through and yeah. see like. And then I have to also look at our land use. 
you know, you can only do so many things uh, on, yeah. across the acres. Yeah. And so how does that fit into our rotation system mm-hmm. on the farm? Because everything that we have, you know, our farm, 98% of it is at rest at any given point. Okay. It's not even, it's not being used at all. Um, and so that's something that I have to take into consideration is how does that affect the grazing schedule of other animals and everything else? Yeah. In an ideal world, you know, in a big biodynamic natural system, you would have as many different species as possible yeah. because they all bring something to the table, you know, and sheep, they do eat differently and they'll forage differently on pasture than what the cattle will eat. They'll mm-hmm. eat different things at different times. Um, and so that is beneficial. But on a micro scale, which is basically what we're running, yeah. you have to be very careful with that mm-hmm. and how you, how you have land use. And then you also have to put that against, um, you know, like your numbers and just say, well, am I better off to just maybe instead of adding sheep, just add two more cattle? Yeah. And is that actually more profitable for the business? Mm-hmm. So some, we have to look at it that way also. Well, and, and sometimes you have to teach people like those duck eggs and, and even with, with lambs, teach people that they can eat certain things. Or like, I know one thing that a lot of people don't know is um, I like uh, chicken gizzards. I love chicken gizzards. My dad, yeah. my dad cooked them um, on the grill in this big pan with jalapenos and stuff. I love that stuff. But people are like, what's, what's chicken gizzards? Yeah. And I don't even know what part of the chicken it is. I just know I like to eat it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so even teaching people how to use the animals that you have, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in the parts of the meat, that's just another thing to, like you said, cutting, showing how to cut the birds up and then figuring out, well, they'll pay me to do it. Well, how do I get this whole animal sold? You know? Right. Well, and I think it's also just personal satisfaction as well. Like just, Case in point, Tony's sister, um, she bought fresh chickens from us. And every Saturday, once a month, every Saturday, she would come down and we teach her how to cut up a chicken. Mm -hmm. And this year, she was so excited because she also bought stuff from Shared Legacy. And she's like, I just made my first meal from everything that was fresh, not from the store. Like, I made my own sauce, my own stock, like everything, you know. And so... Hearing those stories from people yeah. once you've kind of showed them how to do certain things, like it's just that self-satisfaction of like, I did that, mm-hmm. I accomplished that, and I didn't have to take the short way, you know, the easy way out. Like it's, you know, not just feeding my family, but I know every single thing that went into it. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. that a big thing that we like to hear too uh, from our customers. And it, like going back to like showing people or knowing people it's okay to eat things, like you talked about the duck eggs and they're just like, I, yeah. I don't know if I can eat a duck egg. Like we had somebody when we used to do the Perrysburg farmer's market, we had somebody that legit would not buy the eggs if there was a blue egg in there oh, really? because they were afraid <laughs> to eat it because of the blue yeah. eggshell. And I'm like, it's going to taste the exact same as the brown eggs, I but had, they yeah, like had an aversion to the color of the egg. Do you remember that? Absolutely. I, I, had, I had ducks that laid black eggs. Yeah. That's, that's cool. And that's yeah. what people were like, Whoa, that's weird. Yeah. And it like rubs off too. <laughs> yeah. Some of it. So it's yeah, on, it on, the, on the same token. Also, when we used to do that market, I got asked by somebody if they could have, um, when we would butcher out the laying hens, mm-hmm. they wanted all of the undeveloped eggs from inside. Oh my god! You know, which like, that's <laughs> too far. Like, right? Nope. It, it looked like uh, what do you call that? The fish eggs? Is it row or yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's what because that's what it looks like in yeah. there. You know, it's all the undeveloped eggs. They but have, like such a crazy delicacy. Like, oh, that's yeah. the best. That's the best. And I just said, I'll I'll eat chicken breast. I'm not interested. Yeah. In well, well, there's that. there's uh, I think it's. I forget where it, where it is, but they eat um, 
partially developed duck eggs. So like they're maybe I don't know a week yeah. into growing and and then yeah. cook them and eat them. Yeah, and that, and they're so expensive. I think they're called I think it's called Baloo is what it Interesting. is. Interesting. They're yeah. so expensive, and uh, it's like eating it's weird. It's weird. Baby pigeons. Yeah. It's weird. Well, I don't know. And I feel like we've also learned a lot, too, from our customers where, you know, they'll they'll share recipes of stuff that they've done with our cuts where I'm like, I never would have thought to have done that before. Like, and then we get recipes and are able to share them. So I think that it's just this whole little this new culture that we're kind of Here, growing. Yeah, here's what it's yeah, come down yeah. to is a lot and it's it's sort of a, a whole thing just the way that this country is is that food in this country for a lot of people just seems to be like that thing that you just have to do yeah right and it's got to be about convenience and everything else where if you mm-hmm. go to almost any other country it seems like it's a cultural thing yeah right it's a big yeah. event and it you know that's these big not even like the family dinners but just do going through this and here it just seems like people just want to go through the motion or go through the drive through, you know, and once they get through the Chick-fil-A line, they're good. Yeah. Um, you know, for a couple hours until they have to do it again. Yeah. Well, I know I, I'm learning how to cook Mexican food like my mom did. And and it's the same thing. Like it's awesome to try to do my, I'm never going to be as good as my mom, but it's, awesome to try to figure out how she did it and and even now like every sunday my mom cooks mexican food and that's the best like just to go there and eat that homemade food so so i i agree like now i love yeah. cooking and, and i think that is a thing that people are starting to do more is like appreciate what they're getting and to cook their own meals and that kind of stuff yeah it's always interesting to me that whenever you go to people's houses or they redo their houses everybody always seems to congregate into the kitchen mm-hmm. and everybody seems to have every kind of fancy appliance that yeah. you can imagine and they have no idea how to use you know what i mean they don't but nobody ever does it like yeah. everybody will stand in this beautiful kitchen that's yep. got every you know stainless steel appliance imaginable and they'll say oh what do you want to order pizza or chinese yeah. you know? i don't understand it and they'll yeah. literally people will spend 50 dollars remodeling a kitchen yep. and then what are you even doing in there yeah I love, I love, it's fun. I yeah. love cooking. In well, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think we all have, I mean, every family has those traditions of like a recipe that gets passed down for, mm-hmm. for Tony, well, our family, it's Christmas spaghetti sauce. Okay. Yeah. And this summer, you know, well, before COVID hit, <laughs> unfortunately, something we'll do next year for sure is that the sauce will be 100% made from scratch, yeah. which has never happened before, but it's one thing that we are adding to that mix. And yeah. I think that, that cultural, that traditional is lost sometimes. Yeah. So like the fact that you are wanting to cook like your mom and those Mexican meals mm-hmm. that, you know, it's the heritage, it's the tradition. Yeah. It's like you're keeping it alive because I feel like everything has become kind of like complacent yeah. a little bit. So. Right. Yeah. The, the point of it can't just be like the end result of yeah. eating the yeah. meal. The point of it is the experience. Well, And that's, yeah. the, that's the best part of meat because no matter where you're at, it can be in any part of the country. They're still eating chicken, yeah. pork, beef like it doesn't matter so you that's that's what's great about that you know yeah so well uh thanks for coming out that was uh that was awesome it was a great podcast um can you uh let me know um your website and stuff so people can and i'll I'll put it make sure to put it in the show notes too yeah so we are uh, weber ranch llc.com you can find us on facebook instagram as well under the same name Cool. Hit, hit me on Insta. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, uh, thanks you, again. This is wrong. Can you tell I'm not the one that handles it? <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you.
Thanks again to my guests, Tony and Michelle Weber of Weber Ranch for being on the podcast today. This episode and all episodes are brought to you by Real JP Multimedia. For all your audiovisual needs, visit realjp.com, R-E-E-L-J-P.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.